Debbie Adams has taken people without an entrepreneurial bone in their body and taught them how to love making money. Coming up next, a veteran on the move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal. Navy Federal has a mission to put your members first by making their financial goals a priority. You can receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions. It's open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including over 1 million veterans and their families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash Veteran Move for more information. All right, today we're talking with Debbie Adams. She's a veteran of the Canadian Army. Awesome to have you on the show, Debbie. Before we get to talking about business and entrepreneurship, um, take us back and tell us what you did in the Army in Canada. Yes, in Canada. I'm delighted to be here, Joe. Um, I joined the military right out of high school when I was 17, and I became a mechanic. And I have to say that I didn't yearn to be a mechanic as a child, but (sighs) it was open. So, (laughs) you know. I could get in right away if I chose. Yeah. Uh, It was quite a while ago. I joined the military in 1980. So I did that for about nine years. And then I remustered or changed trades and went into the admin side of the house. With the intention, of course, of staying forever. And I didn't. I served 11 years. Uh huh. I I honestly think I, I think you're the first Canadian veteran that I've had on the show. So that's that's great to have you on. Um, talk a little bit about what your your transition out of the military was was like up there in Canada and what it was like uh, readjusting to civilian life. Yeah, I'm going to say that um, I got out of the military in 1991, so it was quite some time ago now, and. Uh, you know, a lot of the services or the supports have changed for military people. Mm-hmm. But back in my day, um, I developed a disability. I'm legally blind. And uh, um, it was 1991, you know, the time of the first Persian Gulf War. And mm-hmm. I was going to be moving to Germany with our with our combat arms. And um, I was doing some training around that, and I ended up getting a medical. They told me I had this vision problem. It took away my tunnel vision. So on the day, uh, you know, the day that I went to the eye doctor and they told me about being legally blind, and they also told me that I wouldn't be able to continue in the military. So that transition took me, you know, I was top of the merit board doing extremely well, and and then they tell me they they have to get rid of me, and it was was that cruel. Over the next uh, seven or eight months, they, they proceeded to kick me out. They don't do that now, <laughs> but uh, you know, I was out on my own, making not very much money, and uh, fell through the cracks, so to speak. Uh-huh. And that uh, first part, uh, you know, the ugly part, took ten years for me to reinvent myself. Wow! So, like a yeah. ten-year transition, huh? A ten-year painful transition. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I did uh, have a relationship in there. Things were going pretty good for a little while, and then, um, you know, that went to hell in a handbasket. And sixteen years ago, I went to university for the first time, and uh, that was the beginning of, of the new life. So. Yeah, 
And you eventually yeah. went to law school. I did eventually go to law school. So when I joined the military, I, I come from rural Newfoundland. So I, li- oh, wow. I, I live in, in Newfoundland now. Um, I come from a hardworking blue-collar family. Mm-hmm. No associations with the military and, and not really a ton of education. Um, so hard, just a hardworking person. And uh, when I left the military, I, the only real education that I had was I was a journey mechanic. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much call for legally blind journey mechanics, I can tell you. <laughs> But when I ended up at university, I was 40 and uh, paying my own way. And again, up until that point, I didn't have any support from our Veterans Affairs, which is the organization that looks after veterans here. I do now, which is phenomenal. But um, when I went to university, I found out I was actually quite uh, bright. Uh, there's no other way of saying it. And, you know, I did a little search and thought if I was going to do anything, I would be a lawyer. Anyway, I went to university. I went to law school for. I quit in my second year because I realized very quickly that that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I went back, finished a, an undergraduate degree, and then started to look for work. We're talking about 2008 now. I'd been out of the military for a long time, and uh, 3,000 applications later, nobody would hire me. So I got to that point where I was like at risk of. I had already given up my house and. My daughter had gone off to university and I was living in somebody's basement without a real stove. <laughs> so it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. Um, and somebody mentioned that I should uh, start a business. And I was in that place where many of my clients are now where I say, what, what could I possibly monetize? And, uh, you know, that, that's changed a few times over the past 10 years. But uh, here I am. Here I am loving it. Wow. So yeah, quite a story. I mean, very, very long, um, transition out of the military, trying to, trying yeah. to find yourself and stumbling along the way. So, um, so tell us, do you, do you want to, you want to jump right into, to people can training or you want to, uh, go, go back a little ways and tell us some of the things you were doing that led up to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what, it all kind of, when I tell the story, it all kind of, um, I do what I, I provide services for entrepreneurs that I would have needed mm-hmm. in my own journey. So um, I told you I was finished university and, uh, you know, great education. What I thought was a ton of experience in the military and I had a resume or a CV that, you know, demonstrated this. And I found that out in the civilian world, they weren't as proud of my service as I was. <laughs> and when I got advice from people, you know, guidance and what I should have on my resume, they wanted me to remove my military service because <laughs> of the stigma. <laughs> and, and, you know, I did because, uh, because frankly, I couldn't pay the bills. So I was willing to do whatever it took to get a job. Mm-hmm. And I was a great leader, but um, I, nobody hired me. So I started, uh, consulting and looking for a job at the same time. So because I had such um, success as a woman in trades and as somebody in a male-dominated environment, I thought I would teach uh, skills around that. And as luck would have it here on the East Coast, we were developing the oil and gas sector and there was a call for, they were going to employ 3% women across the board at all levels of the oil and gas industry. So I thought, there's a market. I went, I got a business plan done. 
But what they, when they did a SWOT analysis, you know, to figure out whether I was going to be able to get this business off the ground, they said, you know, you have no business background and you really don't know how to sell. <laughs> and the next two or three years proved that because I didn't sell shit. Excuse me. But anyway, um, I eventually took a small job for a couple of months as an income tax, a managed income tax office. And it was there that I got an opportunity to meet entrepreneurs who were struggling and to figure out how to do the income tax stuff. Yeah. And in uh, 2013, I opened my own business training, you know, my own income tax business. So this is where people can training, you know, when I meet entrepreneurs and not just veteran entrepreneurs, but all kinds of entrepreneurs that need to become entrepreneurs because of barriers to employment, we often have to go through an inventory of skills to say, what can I monetize? Because I didn't plan to be an entrepreneur. I was forced into it. I, you know, I consider myself a forced or reluctant entrepreneur. And so it took me a few uh, iterations before I figured out that I'm a really good teacher and uh, I like helping people make money. Uh, so we we I went through that process myself. I don't yeah. teach diversity. I don't teach women leadership. I, I teach uh, business people how to make money. That's what People Can Training is. I had a storefront for four years and I closed that down last year. And now I'm going into the online training world. Wow. So. Well, hey, Debbie, that's a great, great stopping point. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah. Within a few months when I first joined the Marine Corps, I became a Navy Federal member. That was over 29 years ago, and I still have the same account after 29 years. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals a priority. You can receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life missions. A credit card APR average that is 4% lower than the industry's. Member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and perks. Access to over 300 branches and thousands of fee-free ATMs. They also have 24-7 live support through their U.S.-based call center. Navy Federal is open to active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their family members. Navy Federal is proud to serve over 8 million members, including over 1 million veterans and their families. At Navy Federal Credit Union, their members are the mission. Visit NavyFederal.org slash VeteranMove for more information. That's NavyFederal.org slash VeteranMove for more info. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. All right, we're back talking with Canadian Army veteran Debbie Adams from People Can Training. So, Debbie, before the break, you were talking about, I love your your angle, and it's even on your website, I teach people how to make money. So how often, talk us a little bit about what it's like to be a business coach and you know some of the things, some of your previous clients, some of your experiences with that, and, and how you actually go about coaching some of your clients. Absolutely. Um, Sometimes when I call myself a business coach, you know, I want to prefer to say mentor sometimes because I don't have these big systems for how it is that we should coach people. Um, I meet somebody and my client will generally be in business for quite some time and they won't be making any money. You know, everybody else is getting paid except them. Yep. And so, uh, our number one uh, or their number one pressing issue is we need to get some money flowing before you can get your fancy systems or go into SEO or any of the things that they will want down the line. So I'm not your systems gal. 
I'm your kick in the arse. Let's get some cash mm -hmm. flowing here. And, uh, and then you can go find somebody else who will help make all that pretty for you. Um, I will say that when I'm working with entrepreneurs that are like me, they have the same problem I had. And that was a great big heart to serve. You know, I always say you'll never serve in the Canadian forces in the 80s and expect to make a ton of money. Hmm. Um, a heart to serve and business is all about profit motive. And nowhere in my military career did I worry about whether or not I was compensated enough for what I did in the run of the day. Yeah. And now we're in a world where I need to put a dollar figure on what comes naturally to me, being able to serve. So my own journey, and, and I've written a book called Money Mindset, it's on Amazon. Um, my own journey has been from, you know, transitioning internally from hard to serve putting a profit on what it is that I do, charging large because it's worth it and being okay with that. So when I encounter my clients, that's the problem that they have. They don't, they're not charging enough. They're giving away too, they're watering down their price by giving away too much free stuff or they're uh, not getting in writing. They're not getting paid periodically. They don't know how to write up a contract. I, you know, I went to law school and didn't become a lawyer, but I do know how to write a contract. So, you know, those are the kinds of things that I'll help my clients with. Practical stuff. Now, do you think that you think that people that have been in business for quite a while and the business is making money and everyone else is getting paid, but the owner's not, do you think it has to do sometimes with some kind of psychological block they have or what would you call that? I think it's a combination. I believe, um, I I call it unconscious bias against making money. When you meet people who just, hmm. um, you know, they they might make a lot of money. I have people who make a million in revenue and they don't get, they don't bring home 50000 a year because they're spending it as fast as they can, whether it's in the business or on toys and bells and whistles. Hmm. And it's almost like burning a hole in their pocket. And I think, what's going on here? Why can't you hang on to to this money and make it work for you mm -hmm. as opposed to just running through it. There is uh, a lot of psychological stuff going on, but some of it is just general accounting practices. I mean, I'm reading um, Mike McCallowicz, I think it is, wrote Profit First yeah. and trying to implement that into my business now because it makes really good sense to take some money for you first. If you're working your ass off. Yeah. Pay yourself first. Right. Yeah. I met Michael at a conference a, a while back, so he's, he's great stuff. He's got some other stuff that follow on stuff after profit I'm first, jealous. but great concept. Yes, great concept. So, yeah, a bit of both. But for me, it was definitely the mindset piece. I come from a background of scarcity mindset, to use the jargon, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, getting to that place of abundance where Money comes in, you make des good decisions about it, you know, for the long term, not just for the week, but for the long term. Uh, that's a different, it, that's a mind shift. And, uh, and you know, it, it, uh, there's definitely a correlation between how we think and the actions that we take with our money. Yeah, you know, I was talking with some veteran business owners um, last week and we, we were discussing the same thing. And I've even, some of the guys were even pointing out pointing out to me that I fall victim to the same syndrome sometimes is sometimes we don't, you come from a military background 
self-promotion is not real comfortable. Most veterans mm-hmm. aren't real comfortable with self-promotion. Mm-hmm. And they're not real comfortable with, I don't want to say they're not comfortable with necessarily making lots of money, but they're almost success, uh, They're almost scared of financial success because it, it means different things to different people. Right, right. And I think um, we forget, like I've been at this now for 10 years, and in the early days it was like I couldn't be a good person and make money too. You know, right. I had to be always given. And um, I'm, I've moved away from that now. I'm good, on, I'm good with self-promotion. I've learned to do what I needed to do to make money. And it doesn't mean that I stopped being a good person. You know, I, I do a lot of service in my business, but I'm I'm very um, selective. So in the early days, if somebody came through the door and gave me a sob story and they needed a tax return done, you know, we're talking about 800 Canadian, which is probably, you know, over the, over 11 or 1200 American for mm-hmm. a sole proprietor. Um, if they had a sob story, I was going to do that for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but now that has never worked. Now, I mean, I have a... Uh, a set rate that I give every year. And when I get to the end of that, that's it. We're tapped out. You got to go somewhere else now and find a bleeding heart to help you out. (laughs) (laughs) True that. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's easy to, you know, think you're doing good and giving away your services. So what are some of the common themes or, or you've already touched on a little bit, but what are some of the big obstacles or mental blocks that a lot of business owners, entrepreneurs have when it truly comes to making money. I mean, sometimes their books aren't right or they're not even paying attention, but yeah. um, you have any, any examples where people you're working with them, they really, really resisted the concept of them making much money, even though they might've been sitting on a gold mine. Oh, absolutely. Now I started out working with a lot of contractors mm-hmm. and oftentimes when I look at their um, costing of a project, they wouldn't have everything in there like the consumables and all of the little bits and pieces that they would need and when i would uh, want them to put it in because it impacted their profits right it was the cost of doing business Mm -hmm. and they resisted they were like no no they're not going to pay it out if i if i jack those prices up you know i won't be able to compete and um wasn't it wasn't the case i mean it's proven time and again that when um that people will still buy from you it won't be the price. Price does not turn people away. And I'm not cheap, but they're with me for another reason. So I've had to drag people kicking and screaming into doubling their prices sometimes. Um, double. 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 I mean, like double your revenue just by doubling your prices. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not uncommon. What, what do you think? And this is not the first time I've heard this by any means, but what do you, what do you think that fear is of people not wanting to charge too much and you know, they're going to lose all their customers? I mean, where, where's that coming from? I think there's a definite link between, um, well, I'll just use an example from my life. When, you, when you're raised to believe, as a Christian, to believe that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven, uh, it kind of... <laughs> I hate to be crude, but, you know, it kind of embeds something at the subconscious level that you don't want to be having too much money because you're going to be one of those people. Mm. Uh, so, so I think that we're conditioned. We have this hardwired into us. And then uh, to grow up in a blue-collar world, 
where my father would say, like, why is it that I have a bad back and he has a swimming pool? When he'd refer to his boss, right? Yeah. So there's always that those messages that um, that are thrown at you, like we're the good people, we're working hard, we do a lot for our community, but but those people that are making a ton of money aren't good people. Yeah, like they've taken it from somebody else, or they must be they must be yeah. screwing somebody over because they've they got, got rich on the backs of the poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so, so true. I don't, like, I don't some people are destined to not, yeah, some people are destined not to have money because they truly believe right. that. And they, if they had lots of money, they feel like they would be a, a bad person. That's right. And uh, I think all I want to do is, is open that conversation. Like, let's just talk about and raise awareness about that and uh, see if some of that is maybe um, predicting your behavior. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a lot of great books out there about, you know, how you were raised and what what viewpoint you have of money or maybe what you got from your parents completely affects how, I mean, potentially how successful you're going to be in business, especially if you become an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say that once you move along that spectrum, you know, in the early days when I was struggling and I was five years in business and still couldn't cover off expenses. By the time I made my first 50,000 in business, I had spent 52,000 trying to make it. <laughs> so, so that's how good I was at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the next 50,000 was a lot easier. But the more I moved along that spectrum, what I noticed is that the people around me who weren't, who weren't having as much success, who hadn't uh, challenged their own assumptions around money, they suddenly started to fall away because I had, I must've changed camps. I must've morphed into somebody else. And um, now what do you, now what do you mean by that? You mean like people you associated with in the business world, friends, maybe even some family members, you, you had a change in, in men, a, a mind shift change and all of a sudden these people Absolutely. weren't around anymore. All of the above. And you know, I care about money now. And if you looked at any of my social media stuff, I talk about it all the time. I go to seminars where people talk about uh, investing. And now I have uh, retained earnings, which is money I don't need to spend at the end of the year. And I'm wondering, what do you do with that money? Mm-hmm. As a business person, what do you do? What are we supposed to do with that? This is a new, a new place for me. And so people who aren't there and i'm not going to say yet people who may never want even want to be there you know really believe that i've sacrificed my values to become this person (laughs) but i haven't it's that it's a mentality when i was in their shoes i would think the same thing about somebody else yeah yeah it's fascinating so really i mean you could almost sum up most people by saying that the reason most people don't make enough money is because they don't feel comfortable making enough money. That's right. It's you know, it's truly amazing when you think about it. It is. And what I've noticed in people that I've coached and, uh, you know, they've started to do so in the very early days, I always like to say, I come alongside and I kind of take over your business in one sense, because uh, let's talk about the person who doubled their prices um, I made that first phone call and, you know, pretended that I was calling from the accounting department and spoke to an existing client and said, just wanted to let you know that 
going forward, this is what the prices are going to be. And they said, well, that's almost double. And I said, we understand that, but uh, we invite you to go out and look around and see what the prices are in the market. And we hope you'll stay with us. But uh, if not, um, you have our blessing kind of thing. And yeah. nobody, nobody left. Not one? Not one. Not one. A year later, they're all still there. Because they, many of them went and looked to see what the prices were. And they knew we were priced low. Or that they were priced low. I say we because it felt like my business. Yeah. And then once I did that first, you know, kind of like modeled the behavior, then the client could do it himself. And I used to say, when you're saying that price that you're not comfortable with, on the inside you can cringe, but on the outside I want you to look like the warrior that you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So you were actually working at the business on a regular basis, you know, walking alongside of them, like you said like almost like one of the employees or one of the, one of the managers. Oh no, not there. Like the day to day operations. I didn't do anything in the business. I was just coaching the business owner. Uh So in order to implement some of the oops, that must be you. In order to implement some of the strategies, um, they needed to see what that might look like. You know, Uh they couldn't just pick up the phone and say, I'm going to do this because that was just so foreign. Uh, you know, and I was asking them to do something that would totally revolutionize their business. But at the same time, there was a tremendous amount of risk mm-hmm. if they lost these people, like what would happen? That's interesting. And so talk a little bit about when you first get a new client, what what kind of structure, what kind of, I mean, so you don't have a, like structured training programs, but what kind of methodology do you use to get started and to tap into that owner's brain, find out what's going on? Okay. So when I get clients now, they um, uh, generally don't, they don't come to take a coaching program. They don't show up like that. They come with a, um, I'm, I'm a certified diverse business owner now. And I think you have the same thing going on in the States. Mm-hmm. I'm certified with an organization in Canada called IWSCC. And that means I'm a veteran-owned business. So I help people bid on tenders. So a business owner will come to me and be looking to bid on a tender, you know, a federal government contract, a large contract. And when I have a look, I start to have a look at what it is that we're doing. I'll be shocked by how low the price is, or it's me that initiates, uh, you know, that does that scrutiny and says, if you're going to bid on that contract, you want to be raising your prices a bit. So then we'll go into a coaching arrangement. How do I do that? Mm-hmm. Can you do that? <laughs> Can you show me how to do that? So I, it, it's never showing up to take coaching. It's showing up to do something else. And then uh, the fact that they need coaching presents itself. Yeah, so it's it's more like consulting, trying to solve a specific problem or um, fix a specific issue. So now when, when you're... You know, like in, in the U.S., when you're bidding on government contracts, you know, the joke is it always goes the lowest bidder. Um, and, of course, most mostly that's true. Um, yeah. How do you work with customers who are bidding on these government-type contracts to raise their prices to a point where they might even raise them so high that they might not actually get the contract? Well, um, so two things first of all under the certified diverse supplier program i'm meeting my client is a certified diverse supplier so corporations 
have a certain amount of their spend designated to diverse suppliers. So they're asking diverse suppliers to bid on jobs. And a lot of people don't know this. So for example, I know that in the States, you guys are way further ahead when it comes to diverse, this whole conversation mm -hmm. around diverse suppliers. And uh, there are some companies that, that multi-billion dollar companies that have a 6% spend allocation for diverse suppliers. So it's not, as long as you can do the job, it isn't the lowest bidder. It's that they must, they must like a company like Fiat Chrysler, must hire a diverse supplier yeah. in order to meet their mandate. So it's a different, um, uh, it's a different uh, kettle of fish than a normal or a standard contract with the federal government, for example. Yeah. And, you know, you said Fiat Chrysler, um, a lot of us, especially military folks, we, we hear government contracts and government this, government that. And oftentimes, I think we, we all get this preconceived notion that it, no kidding, it has to be like a government contract. But there are large corporations who have to fall in line with this government profile, government system of whether, whether it be 6% set aside, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so Fiat Chrysler is not a government a government, a government entity, no. but they have to get in line with those set-aside requirements and stuff in order to do business with the government. So you have a lot of big companies that have the same concepts that the actual government contracts have. Oh, have, absolutely, and they're accountable. Mm -hmm. So um, um, in the States, you guys have something called the Veterans Roundtable. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with this? I've, he I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so their counterpart that, that deals with um, diverse suppliers. So I'm new to the diverse supplier world. I've only been doing it now a little under about a year and a half. And um, I mentioned Fiat Chrysler because I just went to the uh, automotive sector trade mission. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're looking to buy everything imaginable from, uh, you know, styrofoam chips to pack car parts in to uh, consulting services to train their leaders and they're look they're especially interested in doing business with veteran owned businesses hmm. veteran -owned. they want us to step forward and self-identify but many people are not uh, they don't have the confidence to step up and do that they have the confidence in their ability to build their widget yeah. but not the confidence to say i should get that job that's so true <laughs> yeah I, I know, I know exactly, and I know a lot of a lot of guys that are just like that, and I'm even that way myself sometimes. I, and it's just yes. kind of how we were, how we were raised, you know. And not just raised, but I think the military made us, you know, it uh, not took that away from us. I mean, I was very proud of what I did in the military, mm -hmm. but we didn't need to go out and market ourselves like that as individuals. Right. It feels right. very foreign. Yeah, it feels uncomfortable. That, feels that's kind of that self promotion thing. So. Only for the first few times, though, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Land a couple of big contracts and that whole thing goes right out the window, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit of success goes a long ways. Well, hey, Debbie, you know, unfortunately, we're getting close to the end of our time. I do want to yeah. give you the uh, last word. So if, if somebody's interested in checking out your services with uh, People Can, how do they find you? Two things. First of all, my website, www.peoplecan.ca. And uh, you can read all about me there. But I have a book club coming up in January for anybody who's interested in money mindset. 
and it is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, six weeks long, learn from home on this uh, Zoom platform. And I have five guest presenters that are going to just kick the heck out of money mindset. And and what what exactly is that? Is that something that somebody can sign up for? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, what if I send you the link and then you can have a look at it? Okay, we can put it in the show notes. And then Perfect. if somebody doesn't see the show notes, can they get to that off of your website? Yes. Okay, yes. and that's basically like a, a six-week course where you talk about Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich book. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a workshop. I call it a workshop book club. Okay. So we choose a book, and I do this every January. It's the sixth time I've done it. And I bring in five people who are successful in business. Every time Napoleon Hill talk, talks about something, um, they expand on it in the real world of business. That's cool. And it's all done on Zoom? Yeah, it's all done on Zoom. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I love that concept. That's really cool. Hey, maybe you'll out. join us. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> all right, Debbie. Well, awesome. I appreciate you being here and, uh, and sharing your success story. And you know, we look forward to your future success. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it as well. All right. These two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.